0: everybody and welcome to Metallicast My Friends of Misery. I am the host of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast, and your fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. Now you might be wondering, what is Metallicast My Friends of Misery? Well, these are special episodes, not hosted by me, the host. Uh, I have to take a step back from the podcast for a few months for nothing bad, uh, actually happy stuff, I have a newborn at home, uh, but I have a newborn on top of uh, having a two-year-old, on top of having a full-time day job that pays the bills, so I got to just take a few months off, tend to my family, tend to my job, get in a new routine, figure out what the hell I am doing with myself and with two young kids at home. And my goal being that I will be back for a fourth anniversary celebration in December. And in the meantime, I've asked friends of mine to step in and guest hosts. And I've asked them, you know, do what you want to do. Share a personal Metallica story, choose a Metallica topic that has not been covered yet by Metallica. Whatever you want to do, do your thing and I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, that 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 was all I asked them, and they were uh, several friends were kind enough to step in, step up and help me out uh, during these few months because I did not want to go three months or so without providing any new content for all of you. Ass Monday Show. So this is my way of giving you some new content while also being able to take a break and deal with. The real world for a little bit but like I said I will be back hopefully in time for the fourth anniversary you can follow me on social media at MetallicaSpot on Facebook Twitter and Instagram I will be active on there during this whole time uh, so you can stay tuned to social media for more updates on my triumphant epic return on my quest for world domination but in all seriousness a huge thank you to the guests and please follow me on social and continue to interact with me in there. Otherwise I'm really going to miss all of you. Oh, I told myself I was not going to cry. Um, but you know, all good positive stuff. And these will be episodes that if you like, even after I return, I would love to do more. My friends of misery episodes where guest hosts come in and have free reign of the show. I think that could be a cool thing down the road. So let me know what you think of our guest hosts and of these special episodes of Metallicast. Before we jump into the My Friends of Misery episode, I do want to give a huge thank you to Hector Caster, the man behind my favorite one-man band, Bison out of the UK. Check out the links in the episode description. Bison provides all the original music that you hear in this episode and all Metallicast episodes, including the epic Creeping Death introduction. Sorry, I just have to get as many James Hatfield's impressions in as I can. Because I'm going to have a few months where I'm not going to be able to do it, at least for all of you. Ooh, let me get Dave Mustaine one in too. Ooh, All right. I think I got it out of my system. Oh, now I lied. Ooh. All right, now I think I got it out of my system. And now, here is Metallicass. My friends of misery. <laughs> yeah. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. Middle up your ass. Yeah.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to Metallicast. Our usual host, Brandon, is off being a dad. So he's kindly or crazily, let me take the reins. I'm Bruno MacDonald. I'm the author of 666 songs to make you bang your head until you die. And I'm amazed to be back after spending a whole episode trying to persuade Brandon that half of Master of Puppets is really boring. But on this episode, I'm going to try and keep my unpopular opinions to myself and instead talk about a time when Metallica got up lots of people's noses instead. So join us, friends, as we take a trip back in time to 2014. Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 disappears into thin air. Germany wins the Soccer World Cup. The first Guardians of the Galaxy movie comes out. And in sunny southwest England, a farmer's field is about to be rudely awakened by the sound of thrash metal. As we all know, Metallica have long been a festival-friendly band. In America, the Day on the Green in 85 and the 1988 Monsters of Rock Tour proved they could hold their own against the biggest acts of the day. Around the world, they've headlined huge events like the Soundwave Festival in Australia and Bonnaroo in North America. In Britain, their most important appearances were at the Castle Donington Monsters of Rock Festival. In 1985, they played a mid-afternoon slot between Rat and Bon Jovi. In 1987, they were third on the bill behind Dio and yes, Bon Jovi. If you want to know why James Hetfield was angry until 2003, I think it was because he had to open for Bon Jovi twice. By 1991 Metallica was second on the bill to ACDC, the same as they were on that year's now legendary Monsters of Rock show in Moscow. Metallica finally headlined at Donington in 1995. Since then the Castle Donington event has become the download festival where they've headlined three times. Metallica also headlined the Reading Festival in Britain four times, and they headlined the Sonosphere Festival in Europe so often that it seemed you couldn't have a Sonosphere Festival without Metallica. The Castle Donington Festivals, the Sonosphere Festival and, until recently, the Reading Festival were traditionally rock-oriented, so it made total sense that Metallica would play at all three. And even when they headlined Lollapalooza in 1996, they really weren't as out of place as all the purists claimed at the time. But today, we're going to look at a British show where Metallica really were out of place. The Glastonbury Festival began in 1970, and over the ensuing five decades, it's become by far the most important and prestigious festival in the UK. The tickets for the three-day event usually sell out even before the headliners are announced. And those headliners have included some of the greatest names in pop, from Curtis Mayfield to The Cure, from The Rolling Stones to Radiohead, and from Beyonce to Blur. The Glastonbury Bills have always been very eclectic. On the main pyramid stage, and on a host of smaller ones, you'll find dance groups, folk singers, African acts, poets, and comedians. But one thing you won't customarily find is metal. There have been some surprise bookings. The British band, Skunk and Nancy, headlined in 1999. But although they were more than familiar to Kerrang readers, Skunk and Nancy were probably better known as an indie band than as a metal band. Robert Plant played Glastonbury in 1993 as did The Black Crows, and Rage Against the Machine played in 1994. Robert Plant returned in 1995 with Jimmy Page, and so did The Black Crows. I had the misfortune to see The Crows that year opening for the Rolling Stones, and I can tell you that they very much did not rock. Mind you, in that same year, I also paid to see Bon Jovi, so you can't always believe everything that I say. Over the next couple of decades, you could normally find something loud at Glastonbury if you looked hard enough. The Smashing Pumpkins in 97, The Foo Fighters in 98, Muse and Hole in 1999, Nine Inch Nails and a Perfect Circle in 2000, The Darkness in 2003, and even Good Old Status Quo in 2009. But unless you count The Black Crows and Skunk and Nancy, no metal band had ever headlined the main stage, which didn't go unnoticed by the metal community. Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden said, It's the most bourgeois thing on the planet. Anywhere Gwyneth Paltrow goes and you can live in an air conditioned yurt is not for me. Of course, Bruce Dickinson also voted for Brexit, and he wrote a book called The Adventures of Lord Iffy Boat Race. So his opinion counts about as much as that of someone who paid to see Bon Jovi. Long before Metallica were announced for the 2014 Glastonbury Festival, all the tickets had been sold. It's unlikely that any of the ticket holders were unhappy with the Friday headliner, Arcade Fire, or the Sunday headliner, Kasabian. For some undisclosed legal reason, the Saturday headline slot Was not announced until seven weeks before the festival. Most people probably hoped that the mysterious headliner would be Fleetwood Mac, Prince or Madonna, all of whom had long been at the top of wish lists, both of fans and of Emily Evis, the farmer's daughter who books the acts and organises the festival. The announcement of Metallica went down like a cup of cold sick, To be fair, this wasn't Glastonbury's first or even biggest brush with controversy. When Jay-Z was announced as headliner of the 2008 festival, simpletons like Noel Gallagher of Oasis were were horrified. But Jay-Z's response was masterful. He came out playing the Oasis song Wonderwall, then slammed into his own 99 problems, which he mashed up with ACDC's Back in Black. Within five minutes, he proved that hip hop acts could triumph on a stage usually dominated by moping white boys with guitars. For Metallica, the objections were slightly different. Some of them were fair. For example, as I mentioned earlier, there was no shortage of rock and metal festivals for Metallica to play in Britain. So why did they have to play Glastonbury? As usual, our friend Lars Ulrich had the answer to that one. I had heard so much about this festival, but had never been, he said. Metallica has played pretty much every other festival on this planet many times over, but Glastonbury had eluded us and was very high on the bucket list. Weirdly, the other complaint was that James Hetfield was involved in hunting. It was weird because in 2002, no one had complained about Roger Waters playing at the festival. And he's about as pro-hunting as you can get without being Ted Nugent. And the people who did the complaining also seemed to conveniently forget that Glastonbury takes place on a farm. Now I'm sure that the farmer Michael Evis is a very nice chap, but I'm pretty sure that the livestock on his farm don't die of old age. I'm no fan of hunting, But if you're going to grumble that Metallica shouldn't play because their singer kills animals, you probably shouldn't attend a festival held on a dairy farm. Probably the most legitimate criticism was that for the second year in a row, the headliners were predominantly white and male. In 2011, Beyonce had played the greatest headlining set in the festival's history. But the next headliners were the Arctic Monkeys the Rolling Stones, and Mumford and & Sons. And now, in 2014, the headliners were Kasabian, Metallica, and Arcade Fire. All of them, with the exception of Regine from Arcade Fire, very male and very white. However, there was plenty of diversity elsewhere on the bill: Saint Vincent, who of course is now on Metallica's Blacklist album, Lana Del Rey, Tanariwen, De La Soul, and everyone's favourite that year, Dolly motherfucking Parton. I'm a big fan, said Lars Ulrich. We all bow to the altar of Dolly. In the event, the keyboard warriors moaning on Twitter were no match for the mighty Metallica. They began with a movie poking fun at the anti-hunting brigade, then slammed into a well-chosen greatest hits type set. Creeping Death, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Wherever I May Roam, Sad But True, Fade to Black, Cyanide, The Unforgiven, The Memory Remains, One, Master of Puppets, Nothing Else Matters, Enter Sandman, Whiskey in the Jar, and, inevitably, Seek and Destroy. Yes, that's five songs off the Black Album, which makes sense, given that if the Glastonbury audience owned just one Metallica album, it probably wasn't going to be St. Anger. Now, I'm no fan of camping, I'm no fan of festival toilets, and I'm definitely no fan of Kasabian. So I watched the BBC's broadcast of Metallica's set without the inconvenience of paying 200 bucks and standing in a field. But someone who did pay 200 bucks and stand in a field was British journalist, Olivia McLaren. She's worked on books, including Rock Chronicles and 1001 Songs You Must Hear Before You Die. And for all you sci-fi nerds out there, she's also worked on a magazine called Doctor Who Adventures. Olivia McLeron, welcome to Metallicast.
2: Thank you for the introduction, Bruno, and your lovely potted history of Glastonbury Festival.
1: How are you doing today, Olivia?
2: I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to discussing um, Glastonbury 2014, in particular, the Metallica Um, headline set.
1: (laughs) And can you tell us a little bit about your own history with the Glastonbury Festival?
2: Yes, um, so I have been 10 times in total. The first time I went was in 2003 um, and that year uh, Radiohead were one of the headliners um, uh, but also uh, as you um, alluded to the diversity of the or, or sometimes the diversity. We also had uh, British pop bands called the Sugar Babes playing on the Sunday afternoon, um, the streets, uh, if people are familiar with the streets and the, the roots, so some American hip hop as well as uh, British rap, I suppose. Would you describe Mike Skinner in the streets as British rap? Yeah. Uh, um, and so I kind of I fell in love with the festival um, I'd been to a couple of festivals before uh, that year where I was nursing heartbreak and I went with a big group of um, friends from university and the following year uh, or I had such a great time that what well, we all did we uh, vowed to go back the next year and the sun was shining most of that weekend um, uh, memorably uh, I came back and One of my colleagues um, said, I looked like like I'd been in the south of France for the weekend because I was so tanned, which is also quite ironic considering it's definitely um, a a party festival. Well, it is for some people. Um, And the following year, the only two in the group, the two people in the group who managed to get tickets were myself and my friend, um, Danny. Um, So we went to the festival together quite a few times. Um, but fast forward to 2014 and that year I hadn't managed to get tickets and last minute uh, a friend of mine who often went to the festival who I used to work with uh, told me that uh, a friend of his wasn't was no longer able to go and um, I could have a ticket only problem was was that she um it's photo ID and she and I don't look alike at all um but uh the the gods were smiling on me I got in with with no issues um please don't judge listeners um and I so that and that festival I attended with about there was probably about 12 in the group so we would um we would split off into, into factions uh, because, which was great because different people wanted to watch different things, um, I didn't feel that pressure that sometimes if there's just a couple of you um, to watch something that you might not necessarily want to, like Casabian. although Bruno, I know you know that I did like them for a while, in around 2007.
1: Um, Can I ask, um, uh, just for the, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. But for, for the no, bit, people like myself who haven't actually been to Glastonbury, yeah. so um, uh, so something like the Castle Donnington Monsters of Rock Festival yeah. is essentially all you're all standing in one big field. But my understanding is that Glastonbury is very different. There's there's multiple stages, and you've got to really plan if you want to move from one stage to the other. Yeah.
2: That's that's exactly it. Um, It's, I can't remember the exact size, but it's also grown a lot in the time that the first ever festival was 1970. And my first one, 2003, was the last time that people, that it didn't sell out within about half an hour. Um, And since 2003, uh, lots of, it's got bigger. Uh, not just capacity, but number of stages. So you've got the main stage, which is where Metallica headlined, and you've got uh, the other stage. And along with that, there's uh, a stage called West Holtz, which is sort of more jazz, hip hop, um, uh, et cetera. And then there's a a whole dance area. There used to just be one dance stage. There's John Peel stage, which has got slightly maybe more up and coming bands, and as you said before as well, there's this poetry, there's comedy, there's a children's area. Uh, and there's a whole massive, this is in the years that I've been going, it's, it's, it wasn't there at the start. Uh, or if it was, it was a very small uh, area of sort of like late night, like places that stay open till five um, uh, with names like NYC down low and um, uh, Shangri-La, uh, that people, and it's, people will queue up to get into. Um, so it, it, to me, it sort of does cater for lots of different types of people and lots of different uh, people who, well, p- different types of music. But, you know, talking to you um, at, at the time, I hadn't really considered beforehand what a big deal it was for a band like Metallica to play Glastonbury.
1: And I, I was wondering. I know that the weather in in at Glast- the Glastonbury Festival can be very erratic because it takes place in the British summertime. And uh, <laughs> for, for the benefit of any listeners outside Britain, the, the British summertime is effectively three afternoons in June. Um, and so I, I, I believe there was one year in the in the around was it two thousand and six or something where the site got flooded, and um, and and you were caught up in that, weren't you?
2: Yes, that's right. Um, two, it was two thousand and seven. Um, Glastonbury nerd alert. Two thousand and six was a fallow year, so they sometimes have fallow years. Um, uh, and uh, two thousand and seven, they. The, I remember the who ha- headlined on the on the Sunday night, and I remember just falling in the mud with my friend Danny and uh, uh, friend Samina. Um, it was just so muddy, it rained all weekend, um, uh, some, other, the acts, some other acts that year were Arctic Monkeys, um, Bjork, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who else, um, you know, it, to, to sort of cope with the the weather, uh, there was lots of drinking and perhaps <laughs> other things as well. <laughs>
1: Right, I mean, this—I have to say, this is one of the things that puts me off because the thought of wading through mud. I mean, you know, i, I, I would—I would definitely cross the road to see Björk. I definitely pay to see Björk, but wading a few miles through mud for Björk—I'm not sure if I would do that. Um, but I was wondering, do you think, um, do you think that the sunny weather in 2014 helped make people more willing to give Metallica a chance?
2: Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely, because I think it is a different festival when the weather is good. And as I said, I've been 10 times and I would say it's been good weather. And that doesn't include there might have been an odd, the odd shower, probably three of those times, maybe four, maybe, you know, but there's definitely been uh, 2004, five and seven were all super muddy and, and uh, rainy Uh, but I think yeah definitely the this the good weather makes people more open to to listening to different things or as you say it's the wading through because the other point I meant to make was um the distance uh we talked about I was talking about all the different stages but actually it's the distance between the stages and if it's muddy you think even if it's your favorite one of your favorite bands there's there's a part of you sometimes, like you said, Bruno, about wading or crossing the road, (laughs) and it would be, you'd think, can I face that walk that is going to be 45 minutes, when in normal times, when um, it's sunny, we could probably do it in 20 minutes, or in normal times, it would be getting off for half an hour, perhaps, you know, but with the mud an hour, can I be bothered to do that? So with the weather being uh, good, and the, the all important is, all important thing to factor in as well, is even if the sun's come out, sometimes the ground's still muddy. So you're sort of like wading through this treacle-like mud. But um, in this case, I remember the the ground being um, uh, dry. You know, it, 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 it was fine to dance and mosh on. <laughs>
1: So now, from what I know of your music tastes, um, you're not really a rock fan and definitely not um, a heavy metal fan. But I understand that you do have a guilty secret in that respect.
2: Yes, I might do from from my younger years. Shall and I confess?
1: Are you, pre- are you prepared to confess <laughs> all to the to the the indulgent listeners of Metallicast? I
2: am, if I haven't. Um, upset them enough already (laughs) I was a fan of ugly kid joe when I was younger um I still think I hate oh actually what it was I hate everything about you was there a bracket in that song nerd alert
1: There may have been. I have to confess that although (laughs) I did accidentally see um, Ugly Kid (laughs) Joe open for Bon Jovi in 1995, it was a very peculiar bill because it was Ugly Kid Joe and Thunder who were a very sort of uh, traditional British hard rock band. I remember. um, Van Halen, um, the the non-glory Sammy Hagar years and then Bon Jovi. And Ugly Kid Joe, I think at that point, they were on their uh, second album, I think. Um, And I I can't even guess at what that was called. Um, (laughs) But they were endeavoring to be a slightly more serious and I think a slightly more heavy proposition. And I think they even played a bit of a Black Sabbath song at that um, Bon Jovi show that I saw, and I can't remember which one it was. But the main thing I remember was that, all the girls in the audience and obviously there were lots because it's a Bon Jovi show. Yeah. They all loved the Whitfield Crane. They couldn't get enough of the Whitfield Crane and when he was had his shirt off and he was like sliding all over the stage, he could have been playing Slayer and they still would have been well happy with that.
2: I I think that was part of the that was part of the attraction for me as well. I would have been, I don't know, was I 13, 14? But now I've got it in my head and I think I'm going to have to download it onto Spotify. Other music platforms, streaming platforms are available um, after this and have a listen, along with some Metallica, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you, um, I, I think um, I, I'm probably being a little bit harsh on you because I think you've also, prior to the Metallica at Glastonbury, um, have you had you seen the, the Blue Fighters at some point? Am I making that up?
2: No, I've I've seen them a couple of times. I saw them at Isle of Wight Festival, which um, I would say is was a traditional, um, very much a traditional rock festival, and now is slightly more um, is diversified. Um, uh, but then I also saw them at Reading, um, and I remember wearing that's Fee, yeah, Free Fighters. Uh, where I was wearing flip flops. Let me tell you, it's not advisable to wear flip-flops at a, a rock-orientated, or, or, a rock event, rock festival. Um, I think they survived, the flip-flops. Um, but yes, I've seen, I, I don't think I've ever seen the Foo Fighters at Glastonbury, although they have played when I've been there, but I have seen them a couple of times. Uh, they're probably, the. I haven't, before Metallica and since, uh, seeing them uh, on that June, Saturday in June in 2014, I, I hadn't seen uh, a heavy metal band, but definitely a few rock bands.
1: So the the headliners on the, as, as we've said before, um, there are lots of stages at Glastonbury. So the headliners on the other main stages while Metallica played on that Saturday night, one was Jake Bug. Now I have to say that I'm not personally familiar with the oeuvre of Mr. Bug, but I, from my distant recollection, um, he's another dreadful British boy with a guitar. And then the other yeah. headliners who were playing um, at the same time as them were MGMT. Now I liked MGMT in around, I think 2008, they had a fantastic song called Time yeah. to Pretend, and they did a song called Kids, and then there was another one, Electric Feel. And so for about a month or so in 2008, I think I probably could have been persuaded that MGMT were the best band in the world. Um, But I think in 2014, do you think it would be fair to say that Jake Bug and MGMT were not presenting too much competition to Metallica on that Saturday night?
2: I would say that's correct. Yeah. Uh I there there were there are lots of other stages as as we've said. I'm just trying to think who else um perhaps there would be uh one of the if no if people didn't fancy those. There was also Mogwai, um there were uh, oh Brian Ferry on the West Holt stage. Um and there was the whole, the dance area that I mentioned before, which actually you could go to in the day, I think, Um, or or maybe it opened at nine. So people probably uh, went there or actually there's that there, well, there's a sort of dance village, plus there was the sort of late night stuff um, that I mentioned that people queued up for. So there there were lots of other things you could see, but I guess there wasn't um, a big alternative, like they weren't up against Okay, they wouldn't have been up against Beyonce because she would, would be headlining as she did in 2011, um, but there wasn't a sort of a, a big act or DJ, or I would say uh, that, that was popular at that time, um, unless Jake Bugg's popularity passed me by.
1: So, but, um, the, I guess the, the $64 million question really is, um, you know, notwithstanding dubious charms of Jake Buck and MGMT, um, given that you're not really a hard rock fan and certainly not a metal fan, why were you in the field for Metallica and and what 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 persuaded you to, to stand through two hours of music that presumably you were almost completely unfamiliar with? Uh,
2: that's true. Um, Please don't hate me, listeners, but the songs that I would say I am familiar with and was familiar with are Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters. And there must, I mean, there's probably a couple of others, but I didn't want, I don't want to say in case I get that completely wrong. Um, So I just thought, I've never been to, I've never seen a metal band. And I knew from being friends, with with you, Bruno, um, that you, you, we we talk a lot about music, and we've been to lots of other gigs, not metal um, bands together. And I just knew that they would put on an amazing show. I it, it felt like something completely different from from what the kind of acts I'd normally see, which would be a mix of um, bands, also DJs. Um, uh, I've, I've seen at the festival I've seen everyone from LCD Sound System to the aforementioned Blur and Beyonce and aforementioned Dolly Parton who was on the Sunday that year um, uh, so I just thought it's something really different and three of the group I was with um what only one I knew quite well but they were going they were going to see Metallica and they were like Olivia come with us so I thought why not? And um, I would say I was quite inebriated. Uh, I didn't I when you mentioned the hunt the the hunting video, I thought, yes, yes, it's coming back to me now. Um, I I definitely enjoyed it. I was very much in, in, in the zone and it possibly was helped by by some narcotics. <laughs> but but um, And also, I do remember, in fact, I I, would I have sent you a message about this or just told you afterwards? Because I know it it still makes you laugh to this day that I was feeling the effects, or as they say, coming up off um, a pill of ecstasy. Um, I said that in such a sort of a pill of ecstasy at the time um, that uh, Enter Sandman started, which was just great. An epic moment. So, I,
1: I, yeah. I, do, I do think this is um, I think this is an important perspective that probably hasn't been <laughs> captured on Metallica. I think I think Brandon's done about 82 episodes of Metallica, and so I would have to check back through the archives, but I'm not sure how many of them have actually detailed listening to Metallica while on ecstasy. because um, I don't think it's it's not it's not an obvious um, it's not an obvious combination, but um, it's nice to no. know that even you know gloomy apocalyptic thrash metal can be enhanced by you know <laughs> a, a merry making pill.
2: Yes, yes. Um, the reason I had to be so explicit in saying um, a pill of ecstasy was because I thought some of some of your listeners might not be familiar, and I I thought I should sort of spell it out. But um, yes, it was certainly a different um type of music to experience that that with but I was jumping up and down um I was shouting along to the lyrics I knew uh I I had a great time and I really enjoyed watching it with this fairly random group well one friend and two of his friends I I just I I think if you were to ask about some of my most uh, memorable Gaston experiences, and and as I said at the beginning, I've, or near the beginning, I've been to ten that seeing Metallica and seeing them in um, uh, while <laughs> having taken ecstasy uh, is is pretty much up there.
1: And do you think? Uh, obviously, I'm I'm not going to put you too much on the spot because obviously there's only going to be a certain amount of the actual event that you remember. But given that. <laughs> Um, as I said in the introduction, there was a lot of um, naysayers when Metallica were announced and, and it was, and it was, although it wasn't quite as vitriolic, it, it still was kind of along the same lines as people objecting to Jay-Z playing there. It was simply, you know, oh. this act does not fit with the Glastonbury vibe. Um, did you get a sense of any of that when you were there? or did, do, do you think that people were open to it or do you think people were just curious and were just like, well, we'll give them a chance?
2: I would say a mix, but something i just remembered um, is that, yeah, so the three um, guys that I, I watched um, uh, Metallica with, um, they were, they were all, they'd all be metal fans when, when they were younger. In fact, one of them was Ben, who still owes you 99p for a nine inch, nine inch nail single, Bruno. Um, So they'd all, they'd all be metal fans when they were younger. And they were all really fascinated um, that I wanted to, to, to watch Metallica. And, and as I said, there were, there were quite a few people there. um, And, you know, the groups sort of split off and and did different things. And I feel like they were quite honoured that I was like, yeah, I'm going to, gonna watch this with you guys um and I remember saying to them yeah never never seen um a metal band and I thought this would be the place to experience it and they I think I the the crowd was was really loving it and as well as the knowing that these three were had been into metal and still like you know still liked um metal as well as a lot of other different types of music there were people around us, you know, I, I saw some, I remember seeing people with Metallica t-shirts, as you said at the, uh, in, in your introduction, um, there they weren't announced till seven weeks beforehand. So uh, my feeling is that there's lots of people who, perhaps have got, there's a mix of people who've got quite eclectic taste that, that were there, who thought, perhaps thought, oh, I'll dig out my old Metallica t-shirt. Um, that first Glastonbury that I went to in 2003, I, my friend Bob was there, and he's, um, you know, he would describe himself as a metaler. He loves metal, been to download, but he also likes quite a lot of other types of music as as well. So, I I feel like there were there were curious but open people like me, and then there were you know people that perhaps were fans. Um, or had been fans or liked that genre of music. I don't remember thinking that people were being, um, um, uh, you know, booing, there weren't people near me or anything like sort of going, I got off the stage. Uh, We had plenty of room, but it was still quite busy. I don't know, obviously watching it from from the comfort of your uh, living room, did you um, get the impression that there was a big crowd there?
1: I did, um, but I remember thinking the same for Jay-Z, and um, I, I, I think it's, um, you, you know, it, it's hard to say this without being disparaging, because I, I, I have it in my head, and I could be wrong, and, you know, this might be disproved by a simple Google, but that maybe something like an audience of maybe 40,000 watched Jay-Z, um, and I don't know how many people are at Glastonbury, but that's that's not, you know, that's a long way from being It's not like everyone at Glastonbury suddenly flops to the main stage. And I would sort of assume that it would probably be the same for Metallica. So let's say there were, let's say off the top of my head, there's a hundred thousand people at Glastonbury. So if they got maybe 40,000 of them in the field, I'd say that's still pretty good going considering that they were so um, out of their comfort zone.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I've got a feeling it's 200,000, but, um, it's the size of a yeah. It, it's it's like a a town. Um, I uh, yeah. Jay Z. That's that that was one year that I did miss guys, and that's because I had a wedding. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I I think that I I I don't know about the reports afterwards. to read reviews of the of of Metallica set? because I you know I, I just got the impression that it went it actually went down really well and that they proved the naysayers wrong but perhaps you read some reviews that were slightly different or just thought no I'm not going to read reviews because they'll all be from a slightly different viewpoint from the viewpoint I would be writing them as in yourself
1: now the thing that I did um, I, I was actually following it on um, Twitter and just because I, I was kind of surprised at how good they were because I think um, it sounds ridiculous, but I kind of had my heart in my mouth on their behalf because I was thinking as a Metallica fan, guys, please don't screw this up. Um, uh, and So um, like, like I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of The Cure for example, and I've seen The Cure on a couple of occasions where most of the time when I've seen The Cure, They've been absolutely fantastic, and there's been a couple of occasions, like in festival situations, where you think, "Guys, just play the hits," because you're not playing to your own crowd. And the Cure didn't do that; they did the complete opposite, and they played these really obtuse, gloomy sets full of obscurity. And I, th- I was, I was like praying, Metallica, don't do that, and they didn't. And obviously, mm. they don't really have many hits, I mean, you mentioned Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters because those are the songs that everyone knows whether you're a Metallica fan or not, or whether you're a hard rock fan or not. Um, But the the other songs that they played were, you know, most of them them had been singles at some point. So they were the songs that that people were likely to know. So from a kind of um, Metallica purist point of view, it wasn't an interesting set, but it, what it was, was a really, really good set. They played really, really well. Um, and, uh, and, and the reactions as, as they were unfolding on Twitter were all really, really positive. There was no one saying, well, this is exactly as bad as we thought it was gonna be. Everyone seemed to be really, really enjoying it. So, um, so that was kind of, that was quite, quite heartening. Um, and I have to, I guess this is as, as good a time as any to actually, this is my third appearance on Metallicast and um, this, this probably, when I confess what I'm about to confess, it, will, it may, may turn out to be my last. I've never seen Metallica. So you, <laughs> Olivia McLaren, have, have got the edge on me because you've seen Metallica and yet I've written books about heavy metal and I haven't. So there it is. There's my confession, people.
2: I, I kind of feel guilty. Because there I was, I this would be like um, one of my favorite bands, uh, Blur. If I hadn't seen them, and you were blasé about them, and you just happened to see them at a festival, and they did a really good greatest hits set, and I know going back to what you said, I thought that was a really interesting point about the Cure because I really and I really appreciated that that Metallica didn't, even though obviously I only knew a few songs, they didn't think, right, we're just, um, we're just gonna uh, play, uh, hey, here's a new one. Because sometimes you get fans and they, they just want to play their latest album. And really at a festival, it, what it should be, I think personally, and, and I, I know plenty of people who agree with me, is a, a bit of a greatest hits um, if you've got that kind of back catalogue, because you're gonna have people there who are hardcore fans, big fans, middling fans, curious um being dragged along there um only know a few songs so so it, it, it's not people who have generally because as you said you don't know what when the tickets go on sale for Glastonbury. people don't know who the headliners are um and, and uh well any of the acts really um and so you're you're paying for you don't know who you're going to be actually be seeing so it's not like Paying to see Metallica um, headline at Wembley, for example, um, where you're going to get people who who want to hear that obscure B-side. Um, so I I I thought that was another that was another thing that I really appreciated about their set. And I'm sorry that you didn't get to see it.
1: <laughs> it's um, I, I mean it's entirely my own fault because I had so many chances when I when I lived in Britain I had so many chances mm. to see Metallica, and um, when they played in the 80s, um, I wasn't really into them at that point. And then in the 90s, I was more into hip hop. And then oh. in the 2000s and the 2010s, it sounds completely ridiculous. And I'm, and I'm bitterly regretting it now that I live in South Africa and there's no chance that any band is going to come back, is going to come to South Africa in the near future um, <laughs> where Metallica were playing so often. It, it, at one point, it did seem like they were playing every single summer. And so you get a bit blase about it and you go, well, I don't need to go and see them this year because they'll be around in, in 12 months time. And so, um, and now um, when I watch footage of the band now and the, the lineup that they've got now is is extremely good and they look like they're really having fun. And it looks like everyone in the audience is having fun. So, so I feel like a fool, a fool, <laughs> Olivia. Um, but um, I'd, li- I'd like to get to, Kind of wrap up and just get your opinion really um, so you've you, you stood through Metallica and you know I guess to, somewhat to your surprise you enjoyed it um, are there any other hard rock acts that you think would work at Glastonbury
2: um, I, I would say um, yeah I, I, I think um, I, Aerosmith uh, I actually think Despite what, well, now that you, uh, I've learned what Bruce Dickinson said, perhaps not, but I actually thought um, I Maiden could possibly. Um, what are Black Sabbath doing now?
1: <laughs> I, I, I hate to break it to you. I mean, I, I, I feel I feel bad even though you're not a metal fan, but Black Sabbath are, are, are defunct now. So, um, but actually you are- sure. <laughs> Oz, Ozzy Osbourne is still touring and actually that, I think that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a good idea because he's such a, he's such a sort of beloved figure that mm. maybe, maybe he could carry off the same thing that Metallica did where the audience is not necessarily going to be that familiar with his yeah. material but, be, but because they know him and he's this kind of iconic figure. Yeah that hadn't actually occurred to me. I was actually thinking ACDC because I was thinking. I was
2: just about to say then. Sorry, you say, it was, it was, it was I, I had um, Back in Black in my head. See, I told you I know all the hits. Sorry, guys. Um, and I was just imagining people going wild to that and singing along. And obviously, um, the, you know, they're not bought to go back to what you said before about some, you know, boring, boring white men just mopingly playing guitars. They're like properly rocking out you were
1: gonna, add, yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, so I think, yeah, you're right. I think, I mean, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me entirely if Iron Maiden did pop up at some point, and then you'll get Bruce Dickinson completely backtracking on everything he said, and, uh, mm. um, you know, I mean, he backtracked on Brexit, so why should he backtrack on Glastonbury as well? Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think. But I think I think you're right. I think Ozzy is is a kind of logical choice, and I think he is he's on his second or possibly third farewell tour. And um, I think like everyone else's tour dates, that's been that's been um, postponed again until 2022. So um, are, are you going to are you going? Because Glastonbury has obviously it's taken a couple of years off. Like everyone has been forced to take a couple of years off, and it, and it's back. Next year, and if I remember correctly, the headliners are Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift. I think.
2: Yes, that's correct. I don't know um, if their schedules will allow them to be to play next year. They they will they they are two of the headliners. I can't remember third, but who were going to play? Who were meant to play in twenty twenty? And then this year, I'm not sure, uh, because obviously it was gonna happen and then it didn't happen. Um, I don't. I didn't manage to get tickets in 2020. And so people that, oh, sorry, for 2020, people that, that um, already had them were able to roll over to this year and to next year. I will certainly try and get tickets, um, but um, whether, whether I, I managed to get them or, uh, I might have to do the 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 next time after so 2016 I I went to someone else again. It was harder to try and get in, but I did manage it. And um, then the following year, 2017, which is the last time I went, I worked on a postcard stall. So it's it's getting increasingly hard to get tickets. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I I actually think. Now you've said it, I can see Ozzy Osbourne, 4pm on a side, which is what they call the legend slot, which is what uh, Dolly Parton, um, the time Dolly Parton performed um, on the main stage. Uh, and they've had um, uh, Kylie Minogue, Australian pop singer. Uh, she was 2019, uh, and I think Barry Gibb has played um, in the legend slot, Shirley Bas- Bassi. So I see someone like Ozzy Osbourne doing that slot and being really popular. So the 4pm on the Sunday. See, let's see if I'm right.
1: I, I think I think that's a that's a good moment to leave because I think that's where we, we're gonna say definitively that Metallicast is predicting that Ozzy Osbourne will be the 2022 legend. And And frankly, if he isn't, then the whole the whole of the Glastonbury Festival is is a is a mockery of a sham. Yeah, I agree, Bruno. Excellent. Well, Olivia, thank you very much for sharing your insights and your confessions, and um, and and maybe um, single-handedly spurring the ugly kid Joe revival.
2: Oh, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I hope I get um, a shout out from that lovely man um, when, um, I've forgotten his name, Whitfield Crane, um, when they um, they did their reunion tour.
1: Excellent, well, so on, behalf you, of, uh, on behalf of Brandon, on behalf of uh, all the Metallicast um, listeners, on behalf of me, and obviously on behalf of uh, Whitfield Crane, um, thank you very much, Olivia. And thank you very much to all of you for listening to us talking about Metallica at Glastonbury. Fans, not experts.